Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. I want to preach a message today called Strike the Gap Grounds because in our lives, we also have a choice. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Kings 13. I'm going to share about a moment in history where the state of a nation hung on one man and a lackluster moment, an apathetic attitude, which affected a whole nation. So 2 Kings 13, and I'm going to read from verse 14 down to the beginning part of verse 20. It says, Elisha came down sick. And it was the sickness with which he would soon die. Johash, king of Israel, paid him a visit. When he saw him, he wept openly, crying, My father, my father, chariot and horsemen of Israel. Elisha told him, Go and get a bow and some arrows. The king brought him the bow and the arrows. Then he told the king, Put your hand on the bow. And he put his hand on the bow. Then he said to Eli- then, then Elisha said, put, it, put his hand over the king's hand. Elisha said, now open the east window. He opened it and he said, shoot. And he shot. The arrow of God's salvation, exclaimed Elisha. The arrow of deliverance from Aram. You will do battle against Aram until there is nothing left of it. Now pick up the other arrows, said Elisha. He picked them up. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. The king king struck the ground three times and then quit. The holy man became very angry. Why did you hit? Why didn't you hit the ground five or six times? Then you would be Aram until he was finished. As it is, you'll defeat him three times only. Then Elisha died, and they buried him. Quite the final moments. I remember the first time I read that, I was a little bit confused at Elisha's reaction. You see, Elisha never tells the king how many times to strike the ground. All he says is strike the ground. And the king doesn't just hit it once, doesn't just hit it twice, but he actually hits the ground three times. And someone reading this, certainly for me reading this, I was like, well, it's a bit harsh, to be honest. A bit of a harsh treatment to the king. I know you hit it three times. That's, that's a valid effort, right? But Elisha's response is, is so angry. He says to him, go and get a bow and some arrows. And so he gets the bow and arrows and he says, put your hand on the bow. Elisha then puts his hand on his hand. And they open the window and shoot the arrow. Now, actually, in those days, they would often do that as a significant sign that they would shoot an arrow in the direction of the nation they were declaring war on. So the king understood all this part up until this point. But then all of a sudden hit the ground. It seems a little bit like... Maybe the, maybe the old prophet, you know, he's on his deathbed. Maybe he's losing it slightly. And, and the king just doesn't quite grasp the point of hitting the ground. And so he does it a little bit to comply, but then he stops. And so I began to think, okay, if I was the king, why, why was he stopping? Why in this moment did he stop after three? Well, firstly, maybe he thought he'd done enough. You know, maybe he thought after tapping that ground three times, the, the prophet would pat him on the back. Well done, good faithful servant. Well done. You, you hit the ground several times. Good on you. And sometimes in life we can, we can do certain things and we think, well, 
I've done my bit. I've done enough, right? I remember when I was 18, God told me about a children's home. Now, one of my man who speaks into my life is a man named Cleda Keith. And he always says this, what God asks you to do will never end with what God asked you to do. In other words, there's always more. So God will often give you a step at a time. It's very rare he unfolds a full picture to you all in one go. Maybe that's because we would probably try and run on ahead of him and do it in our own way, in our own strength, in our own logic. Or maybe it's so that we're constantly in dependence on him, needing him to direct the very next step. So when I was 18, God told me about a children's home. And at that point in my life, I wanted to study law. I've always been passionate about injustice, always. And I've seen that throughout my life come about in different ways. But when I was a teenager, I thought I would study law to deal with injustice from that angle. And um, I was on a missions trip when God first told me about a children's home. And I remember coming home and telling everyone, thus saith the Lord, you know, I'm going to do a children's home. And you'd get the looks of, sure you are. Of course you are, love. You know, those just looks of complete and utter, those those sideward, oh, bless her, she thinks she is. To the point where I actually stopped telling people. I actually stopped sharing what I believed God had said because I was so intimidated by how people would respond back. See, their looks of apathy started to feed me of, well, maybe, what if it is me? What if it is just pie in the sky? What if, what if it wasn't God's voice? What if this is just me and I'm being foolish? And I stopped sharing my dreams. You know, we've got to be careful who we share our dreams with. When God speaks to you, it's important to declare it because it's good that we rehear it ourselves again and again and again. You know, it says in the Bible, write it down, make it plain that you might run with it. If God spoke to you, keep reiterating those words of truth over yourself again and again. But equally, be careful who you share it with. Be careful who you share it with because there's a lot of dream killers out there. But when I did build the children's home, I guess a little part of me thought, oh, I've done it. Job done. Sit back and wait till glory. Now I've fulfilled the commandment God gave me and... I've done it. I still remember the kids moving into the home and the first words I learned in Swahili were welcome home, welcome home. And to see little babies who had no home, who had no place to lay their head at night, suddenly coming in and tucking them into bed that first night, my heart, it felt like it was going to burst. I was so excited and so happy. But it would have been so easy to then sit back and settle of, well, I've done that now, so everything's fine. I remember we'd only just took on the church at Renew in New Toxeter. And every time I came to pray, bearing in mind we've only just opened Kenya, our home there. We've just started pastoring a church in New Toxeter. Every time I came to pray, the nation of Sri Lanka came to my heart. And I literally, I literally would shake it off. Great woman of faith. Um, I would shake it off thinking it, it, it was me. And every time I came to pray, it kept coming back and coming back and coming back. Till in the end, I was like, are you trying to say something? But where do you begin? Where do you start? When God speaks, where do you even begin? I mean, do you just book a flight to Sri Lanka and be like, well, I've arrived? Like, what do you do in those moments? In those moments, you hold on to truth. 
In those moments, you hold on to what God said to you and you're faithful in the tomorrows. You're faithful in wherever he's planted you right now. If that's here, you serve this church as if that's your calling. You serve your employer in the workplace as if that's your calling. You're faithful where you're planted. And if you're faithful where you're planted, you will bloom and you will blossom. Faithful right now with the todays. And so... God opened a way into Sri Lanka. We, um, we were actually due to speak at a church and they double booked us. It was a church in America. They double booked us. And I remember the phone call of them saying, I'm so sorry. We'd already booked our flights. They, they rang us and said, I'm so sorry. We've never done this before, but we've double booked you. We said, don't worry. It was actually Pastor Cleddy's church. So it's a church that we're in relationship with. So we said, listen, don't worry. We'll come anyway. And we'll come just hang out with Pastor Cleddy. It's not a problem. Well, we went and it just so happened that the person they double booked us with was a man who runs one of the biggest churches for AOG in Sri Lanka. Just so happens. And so we shared our hearts with him. And I said, listen, I know you don't know me. You probably think I'm crazy, but God's put your nation on my heart. I don't know what we're going to do. I sensed in my spirit it wasn't going to be a children's home, but I just knew if I could put my feet in the soil... If I could just be there, I knew that I, I would get the next step from God. And thankfully, he trusted me and so allowed me into his home. Within a few months, we sat in his home. Now we're working in the north of Sri Lanka, in the war-torn parts, working with hundreds of widows, setting up sewing centers and micro-businesses, many of whom were Hindu and Buddhist ladies who have now given their hearts to Christ. And it's been amazing. But it would be easy then to stop again and say, right, okay, well, you know, We're busy. We've done what we've done. There's always a next step. And so many times I read this scripture and it is so easy to judge the king. It is so easy to read this as an outsider and think, oh, you know, he had such an important decision right there. Israel's in his hand and in a moment of absolute apathy, he taps the ground and misses it completely. But what if we're doing that? What if we're doing the bit God's asked us to do and say, well, we've done enough, right? I've, I've done my bit. And we're waiting for that pat on the back of, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant, when actually there's so much more if we would just give of ourselves. Maybe secondly, the king was unbelieving. The king was not a Christian. He was not a man who served God. But there was something about him that knew, had enough respect for the prophet that he came to pay his respects as the prophet's dying. That he got. He understood the relevance of as the king, it's important I go and pay respects and the Jews to the, the man of God. And he understood that. But then the prophet starts asking him to do things that just well, didn't make much sense. Sometimes the Holy Spirit will ask you to do something and in your own logic, it doesn't make much sense. Well, but God, you know, can I do it this way? Sri Lanka? I don't know the nation. I don't even know anyone from Sri Lanka. I didn't back then. I don't know anyone from Sri Lanka. Like, where do I begin? Lord, give me something logical to do. Give my little lunchbox to feed 5,000. Well, Lord, that's not very logical. That doesn't make sense, does it? So, well, maybe it makes more sense. It's man's wisdom to hold that back for myself because at least, well, then I'm not going to be hungry. Listen, if those 5,000 have gone without their own lunchbox, that's their problem, right? But it makes sense, man's wisdom to hold that back for myself and at least then I'm not hungry. And logic and reason sometimes means we settle. 
we hold back. We don't give all that we are. And for the king, he understood the logic of needing to go and visit the prophet. He understood the logic of actually shooting an arrow through a window. All that was fine. Hitting the ground, well, it felt a little bit silly. And sometimes we're challenged in our lives and in our hearts of, are we really striking the ground? Even when it doesn't make sense in the moment to us, it's not rational. We can't quite see where God's going with this. So many times God does things and I think, I don't, I don't get that. I wouldn't have done it that way. But you see, we'll never understand him. His ways are far above our ways. And he sees everything in an eternal perspective. We think, see it from a now perspective. We see our today and we don't know what tomorrow looks like. Our only perspective is yesterday and today. God's perspective is eternity. And so things that make sense don't necessarily make sense to us. But faith is not about things making sense. It's about trusting in the one who knows far better than we could ever know. And so the king holds back maybe because he thought he'd done enough. Maybe because he was unbelieving. Or maybe thirdly, he, he settled because actually three victories is decent. Three victories as a king, well, that's a decent amount of victory. And well, any future defeats after that, well, that's somebody else's problem, right? As a king, to have three victories under my belt, well, that's really good. That's, that's a good record to have. And well, the future of Israel thereafter is another king's problem. How many times do we think, well, what about me and my family? What, what about me and my household? And um, somebody else can deal with the other problems outside. And, and well, the next generation, well, that's definitely somebody else's problem. Because as long as I'm good with my own family and, and my life and my neighbor and me, then somebody else can pick up the load for the next generation. You see, I'm happy to settle for a partial victory because a partial victory is better than no victory at all. And so many times we end up missing the complete battle. We miss the full victory because we're happy to settle for partial victories. And we miss the full victory that God's got destined for our lives. I see people with habits and it's hard to break a habit. Some people come to salvation and immediately habits in their life are broken. Drug addictions, smoking, different addictions of pornography. It's broken from their lives immediately and that's amazing. Other times it doesn't go that way. Other times it takes hard work of daily choosing to be faithful. Of daily choosing to not pick up that packet, packet of cigarettes. Of daily choosing not to log on to that porn website that's so easily accessible in this day and age. Daily making choices to be faithful. Daily making a choice not to settle for a partial victory, but the full victory that God longs for in your life. Whatever the king's rationale was, he stopped at three. Whatever his reasoning was, he stopped at three. Now, an average quiver, a quiver is the um, holder that holds the arrows. That was worded beautifully, wasn't it? Um, but that's a quiver. And archers would, would pick up the quiver, the, the bag full of the arrows, and, and walk off. And now, the, an average quiver would hold anything from eight to ten arrows in. So bearing in mind, the prophet has turned to the king and said, Grab the bow and arrows. So he picks it up. And the king uses one arrow to shoot through the window. And then three to tap the ground. He's basically used half of what's in his quiver. How many times in our life do we give God some of, of what we are? Well, I'll give God my Sunday because, well, that feels right. You know, I'll give God my Sundays, but 
my Monday to Saturday, well, that's me time, isn't it? So I'll, I'll hold that back for me. And the attitude of, well, I gave God a tenth of my, of my income. <laughs> what more does he want? Giving him in a tenth, that's stepping out in faith, right? Yes, it is. But how many times do we hold back because we want to keep some back for ourselves? We're willing to give God a certain amount of the arrows in our quiver. But we want to keep some back for us just in case. Maybe there's a rainy day. And so we hold back. The king literally did half a job. Joash began with a complete victory at the point of shooting the arrow. The prophet says, and what says, wow, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance. And it's a complete victory. But then suddenly that's followed by a lackluster moment. It's followed by a moment of, well, God, I'll give you so much, but I want to keep some back for me. God, I'll, I'll let you this far in my life, but, well, I need to keep some for me too because I need me time. Me time is essential, right? And we hold back from God, and in doing so, we miss the very thing he's got for us. We miss the full measure of what God has in store. You see, the battle for Israel was lost right there in that moment. It wasn't lost on the battlefield. It was lost right there in the king's chamber. It was lost right there in that exchange between the king and the prophet. The army could have been as strong as anything. They could have been well-armed and trained for battle. They could have been the strongest men on the field that day. But in that fourth battle, they lost. Not because of the soldiers, but because of the king's lackluster moment. So many times we're focused on the front line. We're focused on the battlefields. But the key is what's happening in the secret place. The key isn't what's happening in public. It's what's happening in the secret place. That battle was lost because of the king that day, not because of the soldiers. It was the battle was already lost in that secret place. How much do we want that victory? How much do we need God to come through in our lives? If we're really wanting him to come through, then what is our secret life like? The public might be great. The facade as you come into church with the big smile of everything's wonderful, everything's great. But when was the last time you picked up the word of God? When was the last time you spent time on your own with him? When was the last time you saw his face? Rather than just seeking the hands, seeking him for who he is, not for what he can give us, but for who he is. The battle is not won in public. The battle is won in private. And what happens behind the scenes in your life is critical for you truly getting the victory that you want. How many times does anxiety stop us? We, maybe we've got a, a whole heart to serve God, but anxiety just kicks in. You know, when I was at college, I studied psychology and it was part of going on to what I thought was going to be law, a law degree. And so I did um, A level in psychology and I heard a story about a, a psychology professor walking into his class and he'd got a cup that was half empty. And so the class are thinking, oh, it's going to be the classic question, is the cup half full or half empty? But he doesn't ask them that. He comes with his half full glass. There we go. <laughs> half full glass. Um, to the students and says, okay, how heavy is the glass? So the students think about it and think, well... You know, the weight of the glass plus then the water in it. Well, maybe a couple of ounces. And they're all trying to give different answers of what they thought the, the glass may weigh. And the prof professor then said, you're all answering it incorrectly. You see, the question is, how long do I hold it for? If I hold a glass well, that's half full for 
a minute. Well, that's nothing. It doesn't make my arms tired. It's, it's fine. If I have to hold that glass for a day, by the end of the day, my arms are giving way and it feels so heavy. My arms gone numb. It, I can't carry it for much longer. But if I carry that glass for several days and weeks and maybe even years, that's an unbearable amount that I simply cannot carry. And it's the same with anxiety. You know, situations unfold in our lives that can sometimes give you cause for concern. And it's okay to, to look at that concern in your life and think, okay. But the reality is if we don't bring it to God and we're trying to carry it by ourselves, even if it's just a small concern in the grand scheme of life, if we're carrying that for a long time, that begins to come very tiresome. And if we're carrying it for years and months, it becomes a weight that we can't begin to carry. But as we release that anxiety at the cross, as we release that unto Jesus, he's able to take that weight from us so that we're free to move as he wants us to move. The question is, have we quit too soon? Have we thought we'd fulfilled everything God had asked us to do, but actually we've only hit the ground three times? We thought we'd done a good job. You know, three victories is, is good, right? We thought we'd done well, but maybe we've just stopped at three. Or maybe we actually thought we'd failed. And in reality, we just quit too soon. Maybe we thought what God had asked us to do, well, God, I tried that. You know, maybe you're new to Christianity. Maybe you're sat in this room thinking, well, I tried the Jesus thing. I tried that as a kid and, well, it's not really worked for me. Or maybe you're a parent in here and your son's a prodigal, your daughter's a prodigal, and they've gone away from God, and you're just thinking, Lord, you know, I raised them well. I raised them how you told me to raise them, and I struck that ground, but well, look where they are today. Let me urge you today to keep striking that ground. Don't quit too soon. What we're classing as a failure might just be us quitting too soon. Keep striking that ground because God does want to do an incredible miracle and victory in your life. Maybe the very area of your life that you've given up on, we've just given up on it too easily. And God still wants to move. I desperately, desperately pray that when I leave this earth, I don't have arrows remaining in my quiver. I want to die with an empty quiver. I want to die giving it all I've got whether that's Kenya, whether that's Pakistan, wherever in the world, I want to go down to the last arrow. I want to give God all that I've got. What holds us back from wholehearted pursuit? Is it anxiety? Is it fear? You know, fear will often establish a boundary for your freedom. Fear will set out a line of you can go this far and no further. Fear will put a boundary line around you. But if we would just step over that fear... If we would just trust him, then all of a sudden there's full freedom right there, just waiting for us to access. Your freedom is right at the other side of your fear. So maybe you've struck that ground and you just don't understand why it's not completely come to pass yet. Well, Tony Evans um, is an amazing man of God. His daughter is a lady called Priscilla Shira, who some of you may have heard of. She's an amazing um, teacher of the word of God too. But her dad said this, most of the time, God's promises are in your reach. They're not in your hand. They're in your reach. They're not in your hand. Sometimes God will give us the promise. He drops that promise into your heart and you know you're going to run with it. But he's not necessarily then just going to drop it in your lap. 
For years as a young girl, I, I thought some children's home would drop out of the sky. I don't know quite what planet I was living on. I, I, I didn't know if would I inherit a home? Would somebody else pass on their project to me as they were retiring? Or I don't know what I expected. But I thought God would just drop it on my lap. <laughs> and then life teaches you differently. And, you know, stepping out in faith requires everything of you. Stepping out of faith in faith is going to cost you. It really is. And there's going to be times you're striking that ground and it just feels foolish. Strike the ground nonetheless. Strike that ground with your prodigal son. Strike that ground with that habit you're trying to shake off. Strike that ground when it's something that fear is holding you back on. Strike that ground because if you do, you will see the full victory God has in store for you. With Pakistan... Pakistan is, is something that's so heavy still on my heart at the moment. You see, we've got loads of gorgeous babies in my home, and I'm so thankful for each of those faces you saw. But for every child you saw, there's thousands more still in slavery. I remember walking through the big brick factory the first day on this, on this last trip, and um, I was supposed to be doing some filming. Um, we took our videographer out with us to Pakistan, and I'm supposed to be doing some filming live in the brick factory, and I just couldn't, I, I couldn't get it together. I just, I was so torn to see kids that are still slaves. Kids that haven't been rescued yet. And that messes me up. That does something because I've got to strike the ground. I'm, I'm so thrilled for the 30 plus that are with us. I'm thrilled for that. But what about the thousands that are still in slavery? What about the thousands still outside? I want to keep striking the ground. I don't want to settle and say, well, that's enough. We built a home job done. There's still a ground to be struck out there. And God began to put on my heart just a burden for those kids. And Matthew, Matthew is my voice of reason. Matthew's the one who, who just keeps me sorted out sometimes. I'm thankful for him in my life. He's just the voice of reality. And um, I remember Matt, you know, talking to me about, you know, you really need to do some filming in here. And I'm like, oh, on. I'm just so upset. And um, he took me to one side and he said, baby, you can't rescue them all. Sweetheart, you really can't rescue them all. There's hundreds of thousands. You can't rescue them all. And I know that, but it doesn't mean I'm happy about it. I know that, but there's still more to be struck out there. I know it. I know there's more to do there. And so I began to pray and say, God, I know I'm not foolish. I know I can't take in every single one of the children. But what can we do? Because I know there's more to be done in Pakistan. I know there's more ground to be struck there. And I thought, well, if we can't get the kids out, can we get in? You see, in Kenya, we have a children's outreach team that go around all the local schools. We reach about 10,000 children every single week in Kenya. I thought, what if we can get access into the factories? You see, the kids living there have no childhood. They have no time off. There is no free time. There's no downtime. They don't know how to be children. The little girls you, you saw on the clip, I was sat on a brick wall. I had no way of communicating with these kids. I, I, I don't speak the language. And I remember I would, just, I would just do silly voices, silly accents with my voice, and it would draw a crowd. And then teaching some of the little girls just how to do simple little clapping games that little children do. And suddenly the crowd begins to grow because they don't know what it is to buy a child. 
They don't know what it is to play silly games like hopscotch. They don't know what it is to have a childhood and freedom and love. But if we can get in there with Sunday school, if we can access these factories with the joy of Jesus, even if it's just an hour a week, there's ground to strike. There's ground to strike. But guess what? It's not just about Pakistan. It's about here. There's ground to strike in Cambridge. Boy, does our nation need Jesus. Wow, does this nation that so turned its back on God, a nation that thinks it doesn't need God anymore because it's got it all together. They're the type of nations I worry for more than any other nation. I go to a place like Kenya where they acknowledge their desperate need for God. And then I think of my nation and the arrogance and the pride that we don't need God, right? Oh, God, would you have mercy on this nation? There's a ground to strike here, church. There's ground to strike. I want to encourage every single one of you, when Daniel and Tanya do come to this place, get out on the streets with them. Don't let your anxiety or your fear hold you back. Even if you don't quite know what to say, just get out with them. Listen to them. Listen to your pastor. Get out on the streets because there's a ground to strike. And we can choose to either just tap it or we can go out all heartedly saying, God, I've not got it all together, but if you can use me, here I am. I've not got it all figured out, but God, if you can use me, I want to strike the ground. Oh, that we would go out with an empty quiver. That we would go out using all our arrows, using every gifting God's given you, even the ones you don't see. Sometimes we look at our lives and just like that little boy with the loaves and fishes, it, it feels like we don't have enough for the need. And the temptation in those moments is, well, because I can't cover the whole need, I'll not do anything at all. There's a ground to strike. And God's just waiting for his church, his bride, to say, God, here I am. Here's my quiver. Here's my arrows. Here I am. If you can use me to win victory, then use my life. Let it not be partial. Let it not be half-hearted. But let us fully go out. The king could have had a total, complete victory. If only he had wholeheartedly followed the prophet's instructions. Do we wholeheartedly follow God's instructions? We live in a day and age where it's okay for boyfriend and girlfriend to have sex, right? And well, even in the church, if I'm going to marry her, then well, it's okay to sleep with her, right? No, no. We don't get to pick and choose the bits of his word that we like. It's not a pick and mix. We don't pick out the bits of, oh, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but, well, then I can live my life how I choose. No, he's not just our saviour. He's our Lord. He's our Lord and saviour. If we're not wholeheartedly following this, we're not going to have victory. If we're not wholeheartedly following his instructions, his guidance, because it's not just there as a rule book. He's there because he loves us and he wants the best for us. We need to wholeheartedly follow his word because the level we do or the level we don't will directly determine the victory in our life. If you're wondering why you're not seeing victory, then just check, are you really following this? Or are you following a part of it and just the bits that are convenient to your life? Are we really following this? Let's strike the ground. Let's finish our life with an empty quiver. If every day we have that concept, if every day we're saying, God, I want to live today with an empty quiver, if every day we live that way, then all of a sudden we'll see victory after victory after victory unfold in our lives. 
Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.